If you know anybody outside of the Christian circles, one of the questions that you have probably already heard is, why do bad things happen to good people? And how can God still be a good God if he allows suffering in the world, right? So today we're just going to tackle that question, and I think you'll actually be surprised with the answer that we find. So I'm Sam. I'm Vic. And this is the Shoe Leather Podcast. Well, welcome back, everybody. So we've been talking about God and different attributes of God, and today we're going to talk a little bit about the goodness of God. Um, but a lot of us, just something right in, a lot of us have heard the question, why do bad things happen to good people? Or put it another way, you know, if you ask most people why it is that they um, reject Christianity, a lot of them will probably say the hypocrisy of the church. But if you focus in on the actual parts of Christianity that they have an issue with, in, invariably they're going to say something along the lines of, if God was such a loving God, then why would he allow so much suffering in the world? So either he is not truly good because he doesn't care, or he's not powerful enough to stop it or something like that. And so is there validity to that? And what is the, the truth? And how, do, how can we square that away with what we know about God, that he is a merciful and gracious God, and um, he is just, but he's so merciful? So asking this question, I want to kind of paint a little picture for you, and so bear with me. Imagine if your sin... Anytime you said something wrong, did something wrong, thought something wrong, imagine that sin manifested itself in kind of like a like a spike, like a spike ball, almost like a like think of like a sea urchin, and it has like you know like a, a this black putrid mist and kind of this sick smoke coming out of it or something, and it has energy of its own, and it actually once you manifest that through that sin, it actually shoots off into the world. And it starts wreaking havoc and just doing damage. And so it's bouncing along and um, zipping by, damaging um, someone's car, damaging uh, someone's house, damaging different things, maybe even damaging people. So imagine as you, all these sins that you are creating, they go on and they wreak havoc in this world. So maybe it hits someone um, and they actually end up having a disease and they end up dying. Or it hits someone's car and they end up getting in a car wreck. Now, you, that person, it was not, uh, you were not, they didn't, they didn't know you from anyone. And so your sin to them was not fair to them, um, what your sin did to them. You might not even know them, they might not know you, but something that you've done maybe has hurt them. But then also on the flip side, if they are like you, then they have all of their sins out in the space wreaking havoc and wearing the world down as well. And so one of their sins might have hurt somebody else. And so the progression goes on. And so these sins uh, end up wearing things down and it goes by and, and it starts wearing down a building and the building comes down. And uh, this other sin sticks in someone and, and it creates a incurable disease in them for the rest of their life and all these things and it's just zipping around unstoppable now imagine all the hundreds of thousands of sins that you have committed probably in your lifetime wreaking havoc on the world and maybe bouncing to places you've never been and actually going before you and, and doing terrible things but now imagine 
everyone else, all the seven billion other people with their hundreds of thousands of sins. And just imagine what that world would be like. Okay, if we could see it, it would be, the, the skies would be full of these horrible little, these balls of evil just going back and forth, wreaking havoc on this world and causing pain and death wherever they go. So if you think about that, that is what sin does. Not exactly in that way, but sin has entered the world through uh, man's rebellion. And then because of that comes pain and sickness and death. So we ask, you know, why do bad things happen to good people? I like what R.C. Sproul, he said, it was so profound and I heard it just recently. It was, it was so profound what he said. He said, uh, why do bad things happen to good people? That only happened once and he volunteered. So the truth is there are no good people. The Bible says there is none righteous, no, not one. We know that from Romans 3. And so the question, if you realize, okay, no one's perfect, only God is perfect. So um, it's either you're good or you're bad. There's no pretty good. There's no close. It's either you are perfectly good or you're not. So if we know that no one is good, that means everyone is not. And so the question then becomes, why do bad things happen to bad people? And that obviously is way more self-explanatory, okay? When you think of a bad person and a bad thing happens to them, our automatic assumption is they got what they deserved. If you think like a, a, a criminal, they did something horrible, they got sent to jail. They got what they deserved. But we are no different. Now, again, it doesn't seem fair. Like we, we see all these innocent people. What we really mean is what they are receiving in life is not fair for what they have done in life. But first off, how do we know? And not to be flippant, because I know there are horrible diseases, there are horrible things that even young children that we would never wish on anyone. But they were in the world because of man's wickedness. God did not create the evil we see. We like to try and blame him. We want to try and uh, pass the blame onto him and say, well, if he is such a good and powerful God, then he would stop this evil. But God did not create the evil that we see. All he did, he simply created a world where love could exist, and then man's sin did the rest. God created a place where love could exist. Man rejected that situation, and because of that, it sin and pain and death have entered the world through no one's fault but our own. And so when we say, well, how can, how can bad things happen to good people? That's wrong. The question is, how can bad things happen to bad people? And the, the answer is very easily, and as it should. We understand that in our, in our idea of justice. Here's the question that nobody's asking, that everybody should be asking. The question is this. Why do so many good things happen to such bad people? Have you ever thought about that? Why do you have so many good things in your life? If you go throughout the day, any given day, you will realize you are blessed. You are so blessed. Why? Why do you have so many blessings in your life? And the simple answer is the goodness of God. That's it. In Lamentations, very, very common verses in Lamentations 3, 22 and 23, it says, It is of the Lord's mercy that we are not consumed, 
because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. Okay, that's where we get that famous hymn from. Now, we tend to see life so backwards. We would honestly, more likely, we would read the the verse like this. It is of the Lord's anger that we are consumed because his compassions are barely adequate. They're old and stale. Great is thy punishment. Okay, that would be from the WCV, the whiny Christian version. Okay, but that's not true. It says, it is of the Lord's mercy we are not consumed because his compassions do not fail. I fail. You fail. Mm-hmm. Everyone fails. God's compassion does not fail. It is an ever-flowing ever waterfall of grace. And I can mess up. His compassion does not fail. I can do awesome today. His compassion does not fail. Okay, I can reach the end of myself. His compassion does not fail. It does not fail. That's not what he does. He cannot fail. It is God's active, powerful mercy that that actually makes it so that our own evil doesn't come back to punish us and destroy us every day. And here's a truth based on that idea of, of God's compassion. His, his, his very mercy actually keeps us from being consumed. What is that idea? Here's, here's a truth that if we really were to grasp it in our lives, it would change our outlook forever. Here's the truth. Bottom line, life isn't good with a little bit of bad. Life is actually bad with a whole lot of good. Okay, in other words, every day should be your worst day according to what you deserve. Every possible thing that can go wrong should go wrong. So like Murphy's Law should be as scientifically consistent as one of Newton's laws. So if you think of the absolutely worst day that you've ever had in your life, which obviously is not a great feeling, but then imagine each day progressively getting worse after that. That, that is what we deserve. Where nothing goes right, everything is hard and painful and leads to sin and death. That is what we deserve. That is us. That is who we are apart from Christ. That's what we deserve. So it is God's mercy that actually shields us from so much of what we actually truly deserve. And then what does get through, what we actually do receive, uh, it gets past his protection. It's what he allows. And his perfect justice will not let him pass over it or, or minimize it or excuse it. He will repay it perfectly at the proper time. So I know I've heard the expression life is good. Um, I've said the expression life is good. And somehow we have this idea that life should be good. And I think that is an idea that God has put in us, a sense that life ought to be good. But frankly, life is actually horrible because life apart from God is horrible because only God is good. So that when we experience any type of beauty or, or wonder or goodness, what we're actually seeing is God's very nature and his presence actually bleeding through the backdrop of the sin and the pain and the death of life. So every good thing that we experience is actually the proof of a a kind and powerful God actively working in a broken world on behalf of his creation. So it's of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed. His compassions do not fail. Great is his faithfulness. Okay, our lives, um, because of Adam, because of our own sin, our lives have been cursed um, with sin, death, sickness, all the bad things. They came on us for our own, our own 
sin. We put that on ourselves. And because of Adam, we can blame him if we want, coming through, we have been born into that sin. And so really we say, well, that's not fair. No, I guess it's not fair. But that's how it is because that is how our our nature, our very nature, we, we, we had a completely wrong nature. And so that's what we deserve. But then imagine, so going back to our illustration, we've got all these, these sin balls, like these spike balls, all throughout causing havoc, hurting others, hurting, hurting people we don't even know, hurting people that are closest to us, hurting our own selves, destroying this earth. And we are kind of existing, knowing that it's only a matter of time before one of them gets us and we die. And there's this, this hopelessness and there's nothing we can do about it. It's only a matter of time before uh, it just it all comes down on us. And we can try and, and avoid and do our best, but it doesn't matter. But then imagine, this is, this is the world we're living in. The sky is full of this, this darkness and there's no hope. And then God himself steps in and he actively comes down and says, turn from your ways, come to me. And when we choose to do that, then he... He takes all of our sins, all of those spike balls of ours, and he puts them on his own son. And he, he beats Christ with our sin, and Christ experiences our sins on our behalf. And then God on the cross, he hammers out his justice on his only son. All the while, we are sitting beneath the cross, sheltered under Christ, and safe from that, that perfect justice and that perfect punishment. And then once that's done, God takes our sin and it is gone. Those spike balls that we have committed, gone, no more. Now the, the wounds are still there. The things that we have um, done, the consequences, they will still be there. But even those later on, God will actually make those right as well. And we're going to talk about that later. But so not only our, our sins are gone, but then eventually the consequences of those sins, God will actually deal with those as well. And so now we have this hope. So now we've got Christ in us. We have Christ living with us, he has taken that punishment. So now there's nothing left for us. There's no punishment left. God hammered Christ. And now we have no wrath. There's no wrath left for us. There's only mercy. There's only God's grace. And he will lead us. He will discipline us. He will bring us back to himself. But it is through his mercy and through his, his love and his grace. That is what he's doing. He's upholding us in his mercy. So the whole, I think of the whole world, like the whole universe is winding down. It's exhaling. It's dying. And then God actively is winding it back up. And he is keeping it. And he's perpetuating it in his power. He is upholding it. And it is of his mercy that we are not consumed. We would be consumed. We should be consumed every day. But it is his mercy that keeps us from being consumed because his compassions are so great. And he does not fail. He is faithful. And he will never let us go because he is faithful as who he is. And that is our existence. So here's a couple more things about God's mercy. These are really cool. So we have Micah, Micah 7, 18 and 19. This is what it says. Who is a God like unto thee that pardons iniquity and passes by the transgression of the remnant of his heritage? He retaineth not his anger forever because he delighteth in mercy. He will turn again. He will have compassion upon us. He will subdue our iniquities and thou wilt cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. So if you catch that, let's go back. He retains not his anger forever because he delights in mercy. So not only does God give us mercy, 
But he wants to give us mercy. He loves to give us mercy. And you can very, you can be, you have to be so careful because it's very easy for us to think, yeah, God pardoned me, but he kind of didn't want to. Like if he, if he had his way, he would have really made me pay for it. But, you know, I kind of got under, I got safe. And so he, he had to step, step by, you know, by the law, he couldn't touch me after that. Almost like this judge who very begrudgingly says, all right, like, okay, you're considered innocent, but I'm watching you. You make one mistake and I'm on it. I will be watching you and I, I'm going to find you. You make a mistake and I'll, I'll be there. That's not how it is. He loves mercy. He loves showing mercy. And in case that, you know, you think that was the only time, he says it again. Again in Jeremiah. This is God talking in chapter 9, verses 23 and 24. Thus saith the Lord, let not the wise man glory or boast or rejoice in his wisdom. Neither let the mighty man glory in his might. Let not the rich man glory in his riches, but let him that glories glory in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord, which exercise love and kindness, judgment and righteousness in the earth. For in these things, I delight, saith the Lord. So loving kindness, mercy, judgment, justice, righteousness, goodness, moral excellence. These things... God says, I delight in these. He delights in these. So think of something that you delight in. Okay, it could be, I don't know, uh, ice cream. It could be games. It could be fellowship with your friends. It could be whatever, okay? And imagine just those things that just put a smile on your face and it just picks you up and it's just a good thing that you just enjoy and you just love it. God is saying, I have things I love too and I have things that I delight in too. And some of them, are mercy and justice and goodness, righteousness. Okay, we could say these are a few of his favorite things. And so the crazy thing about mercy is you only give it to people who need it, which are bad people, people who have messed up, made mistakes. And it's not that God delights in our sin, but he delights in helping us with our sin, helping us out of our sin. That is something he delights in is his mercy. Here's one more passage later on in Jeremiah 31, 20. It says this, Is Ephraim my dear son? Is he a pleasant child? For since I spake against him, I do earnestly remember him still. Therefore, my bowels are troubled to him. I will surely have mercy upon him, saith the Lord. Now, if we're not careful, we can be very tempted. And that's one verse in the entire Bible. It's very easy to just keep on going, completely missing the heart of what he's talking about. He says, I still remember him, even though even though Ephraim had done all these wrong things and he, God is disciplining him. He says, I still remember him and my, my bowels, my very essence, my core is troubled for him. It yearns for him. And he says this, I will surely have mercy upon him, says the Lord. And here's something interesting. If you look up that phrase, I will surely have mercy. It's just two words and it's mercy, mercy. Mercy, mercy, that's it. Now, I'm no theological Hebrew scholar, but I'm pretty sure when you have a double word like that, it's it's for emphasis. It's to show kind of the emphaticness. So here is God being emphatic. What is he being emphatic about? Ephraim's punishment? No. He's being emphatic about his mercy. He says, I will surely have mercy, mercy, mercy on 
on you. And we see a couple verses before that is like a little Ephraim kind of in his head is is repenting. And he's saying, you know, God, your ways are better. I am coming back to you. And so now God says, ha-ha, finally, like now, now I can give you my mercy. So before, when you were resisting me, all I had for you was judgment. But now that you've come to me and you've turned, now I can give, I can take all that away and I can give you that mercy that you need. And I love to give you mercy. It delights me to do it, even though it cost me everything. If you think of that cost of of Jesus on that cross getting pummeled by God's justice. And you and me, those who are in Christ, who have accepted that free gift, are sitting huddled underneath that cross, hearing him being punished and and destroyed for us, so that when the dust settles and he says, it is finished, we can stand up and walk away. There's no extra judgment there's no extra punishment that we have to endure because he took all of it for us he made sure to take everything for us and now all that's left is god's help and god's love and his mercy for us that's who we're talking about that's the god we're talking about he's the one he he that idea of compassion it's to it's to carry and and to cradle and to to love and so when when you know isaiah says he will feed his flock like a shepherd and, and he will gather the lambs in his arms and carry them close to his heart. Yes, that is, um, that is imagery. But also, what did Jesus do? Jesus touched people. He brought little children to him and he sat with them. He touched lepers. He touched, he touched wicked women. He touched blind men. He touched the sinners and the publicans, all these different people. He, he came to them and he loved on them and he touched them. Because that's the kind of God he is. That's who we're talking about. That's him. So again, the question, is this the one you know? Is, is this the God that you know? He is merciful. He is gracious. He is kind. He is patient. And if you don't believe that, that he's primarily these things, it's because you've got the wrong God. Now, he may not always seem that way to us because from our twisted perspective, we don't understand everything that he does. But that doesn't take away the truth that that is, that is who he is. And it's up to us when we have doubts, when we, we can't see him completely, to trust and let our faith fill in those gaps on the things we cannot know. There's a lot of things we can know, and it's our job to study and to show ourselves approved, to, to rightly divide the word of truth so that we can know more about him. But... In the things that we cannot know, that is where our faith comes in and it fills in those gaps. And we can say, you know what, I don't know everything, but I do know these certain things about him. So we want to just leave you there. We're going to finish up um, next time. But we encourage you, get to know this guy. Find him in, in the scriptures. Realize that in Christ, you are free. There is no punishment for you. There's no condemnation to those who are in Christ. All that you have left now, because of what Christ has done for you, all you have left now is God's help, his love, his compassion, his mercy, his discipline, which is important. That's part of his love, drawing you back to himself. But there is no more punishment. There's no more, um, we'll talk more about this later, but even even sickness and death and pain, those things have, they're, they're able to be transformed now. And all of that, 
is due to Christ, Christ alone. On our, on our own, we are bad people deserving bad things. Even on our best day, we make enough mistakes where God's justice must come down on us. But in Christ, it's all different. In Christ, we can actually have uh, a good, we'll say a good life. Life can be good because God is good. And when we are with him, then that makes everything better. And that makes it all click and it makes it all work. And it doesn't mean it's perfect because we're still in a fallen world. There's still sin flying about and it's going to do us damage. And that is par for the course because that is who we are. That is that is what we have created in this world. But but God is with us and he's going to move and he's going to help us and he's actually going to use those things for us. So encourage you guys, um, be encouraged that God is good. So remember, whether you eat, whether you drink, whether you learn about God's goodness, whatever you do, do it to the glory of God. Until next time.